Welcome back to the 10 Songs to Change Your Life podcast, brought to you by The 10th Man. My name is Eric Davidson, and on this show, we sit down with musicians, artists, authors, and more to discover the tunes that shaped who they are. On the last episode, Mango sat down with acclaimed photographer Rich Gilligan, and this week, I'm super excited to be speaking with one of Ireland's most celebrated multidisciplinary artists and an icon of theatre, Alwyn Puere. Alwyn has been incredibly busy lately, adding to her already packed artistic resume with an incredible performance in Marina Carr's Eye Girl, scene-stealing appearances in Robert Eggers' recent film The Northman, and a vengeful portrayal of Sally Hardesty in Netflix's Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Named as one of Ireland's greatest film actors of all time by the Irish Times, in this episode she talks about her life and career through 10 songs, discussing working with Sinead O'Connor, the magnetism of Janis Joplin, and the uneasy beauty of Lancome, and loads, loads more. These are the 10 songs that changed your life. Brought to you by the 10th man. I wanted to kick off to talk about first um, uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Oh yeah, sure. Yeah, because yeah, yeah. I think we'd be remiss if we didn't spoke, speak about it. But I suppose before speaking about how you, that happened, um, when you had seen, seen the original, were you attracted to that? Because I know you've, you've spoken about before, like being attracted to the extremities of experience. And I mean, in terms of like film, that's pretty high up there in the on the extremo meter <laughs> the original you know yeah, so like yeah. was that when were you a fan of that film before you well it's funny i mean i've been doing a lot of you know interviews and talks about about the whole horror in fact i was i did a podcast with a horror academic wow. last week i didn't even know they existed horror Amazing. academics um but um i will say that i wasn't interested in what i suppose would be known as the ordinary classic horror horror genre um, and Texas Chainsaw Massacre when I saw it probably in the late 70s I would kind of dismiss it as just a slasher movie you know what I mean um, but then when this one came up I thought well I've got to watch the original obviously because it was going to be and uh, it was fascinating watching mm. it because I just thought god this is this really now if you were bringing this out now it would be an absolute art house movie 100%, yeah. but at the time it seemed like just a commercial slasher movie mm. Um, and and um, so I am a big fan now of the original, but I wasn't then. Mm, I get you, yeah, for sure. I thought it was interesting. I, I saw an interview you were talking about um, the exhilaration of the onward journey towards death. This is like a while ago you were speaking about that, but there's I was, feel, I was feeling like there's some super like sinister alternate realities in terms of like that outlook on life, and then Sally's in the the film. The, the the latest uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre film of this like you know hurtling towards like an inevitable death but like you know almost excited to get to that conclusion is what she's she's doing like you know you can you see like the joy in her face in the film when she finally gets to stand face to face with Leatherface again it's like this really interesting I found that parallel yeah it is actually and uh, yesterday I was just saw the Northman um which I was in, yeah. in as well and uh, it's it's very much a similar thing it's this just revenge mm. fate completely like that's your destiny and the absolute you know non-stopness of the revenge and um, there is something kind of fascinating and liberating about that when you identify just one task and that's your you know that's your life task mm. um i i think in sally's case it's sort of yeah, I mean, you know, there's no back story really, but the fact that she had become a, te uh, a Texas Ranger is kind of interesting um, because in some ways for me, it, it be she became the cowboy of the movie. She was like Clint Eastwood, you know, or something in, yeah, in, yeah. in those movies, in those spaghetti westerns or, uh, or that wonderful western that I love. Um, 
Once Upon a Time in the West. Oh, yeah. Can't remember who played that central role. But anyway, you know, the role of the outsider who comes in mm. and has this mission, you know. Yeah. So she is kind of like that. Um, and uh, yeah. And also in like true horror fashion, you know, it's not, no spoilers or anything, but you know, there's no happy endings either. You know, it's not like a real Western where, you know, the hero tri triumphs, you know. No, is, no. Yeah. I mean, and actually, really, the thing is with Texas Chainsaw and I think with a lot of those horror monster kind of movies like Alien, for instance, my side is always on the monster. I always go, yeah, <laughs> you know, I always, you know, because in so many ways they're like they're 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 um, representing our our darkest, you know, frustrations mm. with humanity, you know, mm. and they're they're attacking the humans. Uh, so in a way, I'd be, you know, I really felt sorry for Leatherface, uh, particularly in this, you know, in this mm. version, Texas Chainsaw. I just thought, yeah, well, why wouldn't you? You know, <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. for sure, yeah, 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 and like it's it is interesting, yeah, because you know, in in the original as well, like you can see the journey of him going from you know this like almost quiet, and then like not mm. really understanding why he's yeah you know doing the things he's doing into this yeah. like you know you know feeling like he's almost justified in it, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, I when I read the script of the new one, I just thought, oh, this, this is a real anti-capitalist kind of take on it, you mm. know. I don't know if you get that when you see the movie, but like uh, that was what appealed to me about the 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 angle of it, which you can see also in the original. Mm. Actually, Amazing. you can see that aspect of it in the original. It's kind of deep, kind of political shift going on somewhere. Mm -hmm. You know. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I suppose speaking of Robert Eggers as well and the Northman, like obviously he, for me anyway, like sort of redefined horror in, yeah. in recent years, which is. With, with Lighthouse and which it's they're just like he's just an amazing uh, director and I haven't seen Northwind yet I'm really excited to going on Monday yeah. um, but w like what was that experience like work, working uh, on that well, film well because um, I hadn't I hadn't actually seen The Witch but I'd heard that it was really good but mm. I don't know I kind of like mm, yeah you know because I'm always surrounded by witch scripts <laughs> and, <laughs> I was going oh yeah I'm sure it's great whatever and then obviously when I w and then you know people did talk about Robert Eggers and, and then um and then I saw that he had a theatre background, which was very interesting to me. And um, then I saw, then I was uh, asked to take for a role in it, small role, but you know, a nice role. And um, and then I met him because he kind of cast me more or less, you know, but mm -hmm. he just met for us to see how we got on. And I just thought he was fabulous. And then I went to see The Lighthouse, which I thought was a masterpiece. Mm, it's amazing. Yeah. That's so interesting. I didn't know he came from a theatre background because yeah. in my head I'm thinking, I haven't obviously haven't seen Northman, but both of those, like The Witch and The Lighthouse, yeah. like they're, they're, they're plays, essentially. They totally are. And then, of course, I saw The Witch, which I thought was wonderful. But mm. I do love The Lighthouse. Mm, I love the confinement yeah. of it, all of that kind of stuff. Mm. These two people in this place and in the lighthouse out in the middle of Nova Scotia. And they actually built that lighthouse. Mm. And that weather was real. That yeah, was yeah. the other thing. Um, there's, but that, yeah, there's an amazing uh, sort of behind the scenes film on, on I think it's on Netflix or something. Oh, is there? That, I think I think it's that one yeah, where they're talking oh, about like yeah, yeah. building it and the weather and like how, you know, yeah. they're, you know, they're blankets around yeah. in between scenes and yeah. things. Yeah. No, he's really, he, he um, yeah, I think it's his, he doesn't know his, bio I, I read a bit about him mm. since actually, he doesn't know his biological father. Um, but his mother, uh, his father, his actual, you know, like his father, foster father, whatever, mm. the person his mother married, um, uh, is a Shakespeare professor. Okay. And uh, I think Robert used to 
you know, put on plays and write them and even did street stuff and uh, was a uh, theatre designer and all of that. Mm. I haven't gone in detail, but I know a strong theatre background. Mm, mm. Um, and you really see that, you mm. know, and that, that, and I can see that in how he works with the long takes, you know. I mean, the, the first scene I did, which is like blink <laughs> when you watch the movie, but the first scene I did, which was the kind of like in the temple, I think we did, and it was the first day that I was working on it. It was 27 takes. Wow. Because the camera had to go pan and boom, boom, mm. and you just step in there, da, da, and hold it like that, yeah. da, da, you know, and it was just getting all that coordinated. Now, in fact, when I saw that scene, I'm not sure it is all in one take in the movie, but um, yeah, yeah <laughs> that's yeah. what they were aiming for. And he works like that a lot. So there's this, this kind of heightened feeling when it's going on of everything has to coordinate you know yeah. very different to just one shot you know yeah yeah like pure choreography yeah, yeah amazing and um, i saw you put up a, a, a photo on your instagram of uh, or still from nosferatu it's not oh, a hint yeah. for a potential collaboration with robert um, again is it <laughs> i wish i would love that um but no i i it is 100 years since the first nosferatu that yeah. was why i put it up and there was this beautiful photograph in the new york times so i have to put that up you know because he is rising again. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and, um, and then, um, and then actually in that same article, it had mentioned that Robert Eggers were going to, but I had seen that in his IMDB that it was one of his projects. Mm -hmm. And I think, cause I'm actually possibly doing a project with his assistant who was on assistant on the Northman. I might be doing a project with him. Okay. Um, and, um, he, his assistant, when I was talking to him the other day, said, uh, yeah, they were going to start on the Northman. Oh, no, I'm sorry, on the, um, on Nosferatu, but it c kind of fell, fell at the, at the last hurdle. Mm. It's, it's still going to happen at some stage, but mm. I think the next thing he's going to do may not be that. Uh, I don't know what it is. He mm. wouldn't tell me, but, <laughs> um, oh, I would love that. I would love to, I'd love to play Nosferatu, but he'd probably get a guy. <laughs> <laughs> but I really would like yeah. to play Nosferatu. I wonder if they'll put the same mystique around Max Shrek as they did in the original, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it would be great. I think yeah. it'd be quite interesting, you know, to have a, you know, an, a, a, a non-gender specific person mm. playing Nosferatu. Yeah. Especially in this era. But, um, well, like, because like, there's a dehumanization around Nosferatu in comparison to, say, um, like Bela Lugosi's Dracula. Yeah. Do you know, it's a totally different, yeah. it's, it, it's more, you know, yeah, it's it's undefinable, I suppose, as yeah. a, as, a, as a character, you know. So there's no need to sort of add any sort of layers of gender in it because yeah. it's not like a romantic version like it is in in Bela Lugosi's case. Yeah, exactly, and um, and and it's uh, I actually I, I adored. I mean, I love the original film, of course, mm. but you know it's hard to see it sometimes in the right conditions. But uh, I adore the Herzog movie, mm. and in fact, one of my choices was which doesn't get included in the yeah. 10 because I had to be ruthless um, <laughs> was um, was the Gordel Ensemble singing um, uh, with uh, singing the Tsinkaro uh, I think it's called oh yeah you have that, that here in your honorable mentions yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's that amazing scene where you know it starts in the square and you come down mm. and everybody's gone demented and there's all the white rats and that's uh, just beautiful mm. scene you know I, lo I love I love that film and I love Klaus Kinski in it I think it's for me, it's Klaus Kinski's finest <laughs> performance. Amazing. Um, okay, so as you said, before we get started, of a list of honourable mentions yeah. that I'll just fly through because we could do 20 tracks, but yeah. I suppose the long weekend's already so long. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Sinead O'Connor's version of uh, I Am Stretched On Your Grave, um, Burundi Whisper Song, 
uh, that Gordella uh, yeah. song that you just yeah. mentioned there. Um, Tangled Up in Blue by Bob Dylan. Sullivan's John by Pecker Dunn. Love Pecker Dunn. Yeah. It's brilliant. Um, Amelia by Johnny Mitchell. Um, and then something from uh, Einstein on the Beach and something from Moving Hearts. Yeah. Um, and then also uh, Part of My Makeup. So that's obviously your yeah, yeah. own <laughs> track. Yeah, yeah so... Yeah. Uh, Hope you don't have time to go through all no. them, but I, w- I would love to chat about uh, uh, part of my makeup um, because obviously that's operating theater. Yeah. So, so for people who don't know, operating theater was was um, a music uh, project, but it was also in theater too, and it was in performance as well. Yeah. So yeah, 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 yeah it was mainly it was mainly set up, it was set up by Roger Doyle, composer, and myself as a, a, a as a band and a performance theater, uh, and we did a lot more theater. Then we did, we did a lot of theatre together, you know, which we co-created and everything like that. Yeah. Um, but he kind of, he's kept on to the operating theatre label, if you like, uh, for producing some of his own work as well. But that's essentially what it, what it was. And, um, and so it was just him and me, but lots of different people coming in and out uh, collaborating with us. Uh, and, you know, we, we just, just have this, this really interesting sort of symbiotic creative relationship i think yeah. where you know i mean we we fight a lot actually but we, when we get in a room and we start making something um very often just just happens you yeah. know there's very few people like that actually mm. you, you, it's your tribe you know your your closest tribe you find them during your life you know and there's not that many of them there's less of them than you would expect and I that guess. one just makes sense yeah it would just like because the first time we met actually we were was um he was looking for somebody to perform to one of his pieces called Thalia. And he wanted just a physical performer while that played in the space. Um, and I hadn't met him before, but I had heard one, one. I had heard a little bit of his music and had gone, oh, that's really great. Um, and so we went into a room together, he played the track and I improvised. And I always describe that moment as being, it was like, when I heard the track, I thought, I recognize this, it's like, this is a neighboring planet, mm. <laughs> you know, it was like communicating with a mm. neighboring planet. And it was the same thing for him. It was just one of those moments. And then from then on, you know, we've done a lot, a lot of different work together. Um, and then I think around the um, sort of early 2000s, I think the last piece we did, the last performance piece we did as operating theater was called Here Lies, which was a live installation based on Antonin Artaud's journey to Ireland in 1937. So I was in this kind of glass box and there was kind of audience came in for 10 minutes and mm. had to leave again, that kind of stuff. Um, was that the piece that where you said, uh, was it like you locked eyes with a 12 year old? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Geez, you've done your research. <laughs> well done. <laughs> that was yeah. amazing. I, yeah, I thought that was like yeah. you, uh, you're, you're, you were so excited in that interview talking about the thing. Yeah. Like, you know, the, the child was looking at you saying I don't know, don't know what who you or what you are yeah oh that was so great because yeah. they came in it was a French family and it was this this first iteration of the installation was for the Galway Arts Festival 2005 and um so this the people you know be about 10 people only could come in at a time because it was a small enough room and uh, they they all had to be around this kind of big glass cage which was a bit like a room and they were making jokes because they were French they were making jokes and pissing about and everything there was a few young people as well and uh slowly they got quieter and quieter <laughs> and quieter and then at the very end when i looked up this young fella it was just such a great moment i mean i'll never probably never meet him again or if i did we wouldn't know each other but um yeah 
they those are the moments that make it all work worthwhile really mm. they're the, like the beautiful moments of live performance you know mm, amazing okay we better get cracking into <laughs> yeah. the into the tunes <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> um so Shakrulo, uh sung by the uh, bassiani choir So tell me about how this one crossed your path. Well, um, I've always been interested in polyphonic singing, and this isn't exactly polyphonic singing, but it's a Georgian singing, which mm. is, <clears throat> it's, it's a particular form of song that you, you get in lots of different parts of the world, which is really about inflaming a community, you know, people join in and multi-voiced and everything like that. So a lot of Georgian singing has that element to it, which is very... Uh, it kind of rouses you, you know, it lights your fire. And if you look, I was looking at the translation of the words of Chakrulo, really, and they're like, oh, geez, I'm glad I don't know the words, you know. But the sound of it is amazing. And the reason I chose it is because it's on the golden record. So it's orbiting space as we speak. Right, okay. It's, it's up there, um, rep, one of the representations of our earthly language. Yeah, yeah. And I find it, I find that idea so beautiful. And... Um, so I just chose it as a kind of a, 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 an overall expression of, you know, music as this universal message system and language, you know, mm. which is beyond all our vernaculars and all mm, that sort mm. of stuff. And, um, and I, I, w I would say that's been a guiding principle in my life as well. That sort of, you know, the thing that you don't understand uh, in that kind of rational sense, but you feel it and you understand it in a different way. Yeah. And this track in particular, you, you've said before that you've obsessed over, it's one of the tracks that you yeah. have obsessed over. Um, I was curious, like when, when you had spoken about that idea of like obsessing over something for mm. years in, in some cases, yeah. one, one song, what are you, what are you, like when you're, are you examining that from an artistic perspective or is it, is it just pure enjoyment and pure sort of like visceral um, uh, engagement with it, I suppose? I suppose it's a bit of both but it's more just it's like um it's like a hotline to an some kind of experiential moment mm. where i'm going oh, oh there it is you know <laughs> oh, there it is it's so elusive but it's kind of like addiction addictive you know you just want to hear it again and kind of contact that place so it's it's enjoyment but it's also there's a bit of pursuit in it as well mm. Mm. amazing yeah. Um, okay, uh, the next track is TV Sheets by uh, Van Morrison. Open up the window. Um, I suppose <laughs> when I was listening back to this again, it, it, it being a blues song, you can't really get much more bluesy than talking yeah, about yeah. being stuck in a room with someone with tuberculosis. Dying like, of TB. Yeah, 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 it's yeah. pretty bluesy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, I, I absolutely love that track. And for years, when I would when people would talk about Van Morrison um, and I'd mentioned TB Sheets, they didn't know it. Like it was one of the lesser known ones because big, long one as well. It's And I, I was saying, you know, I have to play the whole thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Don't fade it out. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, I uh, uh, and so there's a kind of chronology to the whole Van Morrison thing for me, I suppose. Uh, one of my first boyfriends uh, was obsessed with with Van Morrison, it was when I was out, out in the West, a teenager, and uh, we used to play it all the time. We used to play all Van Morrison all the time. Mm. Um, but that one really, really hit me deeply um, because, uh, well, 
maybe historically as well, you know, my, my, my mother's family in particular, many of them died of TB mm. in France. And, um, um, but I also just love this kind of, this sort of, uh, it, it's so in the moment and in the room and, the, and there's this kind of rhythm through it and there's a kind of a, there's, there's a certain kind of pleasure in the agony. Mm. <laughs> so it's that mixture of, it's that place where agony and grief mix with uh, ecstasy, you mm. know, and I think that's where so much of our life experience or the best life experiences are. There, there is, there's always two sides, mm. you know. I think it's because it's, you know, when you think about like a, uh, a song about grief or a song about, mm. um, you know, mourning or whatever. Yeah. Um, you instantly go to like a Shano's or like a, you go to yeah. like a, you know, like a really sort of like haunting song. Mm -hmm. But this is, you know, there's something m more um, in the moment about this song. It's more yeah. real. You yeah. Know? And you can groove with it. You yeah. know what I mean? It's like, I could, it's just, I love it anyway. You could swap <laughs> the lyrics out and it would be a... <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally different. Yeah, yeah. But it's the way he riffs on it, you know, and all his, you know, the way he's, all his asides and gotta go gotta go yeah you know just just give me a drink of water <laughs> yeah amazing um okay the third track uh ball and chain performed by janice joplin what do you do i said honey what you doing to me no 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 you know written by Woody May Thornton as well and I think you'd reference that yeah. it's uh, Woody May Thornton also performs this yeah, too yeah, yeah. so I think that the version that I, I was I was kind of pouring over I suppose before coming into this was it was like Monterey Pop Festival in yeah. 1967 oh my god what a performance yeah oh my it's god crazy yeah I think that was it I mean it's it's I had never I never saw her live um, and like a lot of like a lot of musicians and singers it's when you see them live or mm. experience them live that some other thing happens you know and i mean it was, but i saw her on the i think it was woodstock or something or it was monterey pop or mm. one of the, one of the films about festivals and i went this woman she is something else you know she was just so extraordinary and um so for me she was like one of those um you, you know there are there are a few female icons of that time for me uh, growing up and she would definitely have been one um uh, and probably the most powerful one actually in terms of just where her voice goes mm. it, she her voice has this um you know it's 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 just in this kind of court between speech and wailing and it's got that kind of it's got that kind of blues thing with it mm. and oh, it's beautiful yeah and there's a sense of like it's uh, particularly this performance the Monterey Pop Festival and um, there's a sense of like leaving it all on stage you yeah. know like a like it's her last ever performance she's ever going to do you know to be able to um, to exert that much yeah. energy and that, and that much um, you know that much passion and uh, in front of an audience and on a regular basis that's just one little snippet of yeah. or one little snapshot of that era for her yeah. of, was probably living on the stage every night yeah i mean it's it's a kind of life she's always in this life and death place mm. really when she's performing it's it's just so beautiful and powerful to watch um and there's a there's a god i can't remember the name of this biography that i read recently it's a wonderful biography actually because it really goes into her musical influences and everything but there was a section of it where it talked about um somebody who was watching her going you know like actually believing you, you think you think she's gonna die mm. you know after it how can she how can she survive mm. putting so much of herself out there 
Yeah. Mm. I noticed that recently, you know, for those I love, um, David Balfe's project won the Choice Music Prize there recently. But it's again, it's a, it reminded me of that. It's an album about grief, and it's a, it's a really, you know, and every single performance you see it live, there is a sense of exhaustion afterwards. Yeah, you yeah. Just losing, you know, it, it all just like drains out of them afterwards. And I, I don't know, like, I, I want to ask you about that sort of even like how you regenerate. Oh, you know yeah. when you're on long runs especially in theater you know when there's long runs or even like those 27 takes you know like how do you regenerate in term create creatively i suppose yeah um i'll go on to that in a minute but what i did want to say about yeah. ball, and, ball and chain actually is i also chose it because it's it's like when i realized it was written and about prison i think that's really significant as well because she was in some kind of like she was mm. always trying to get out of it you know um so, uh, but apart from that, it was just because of the performance. Yeah. Anyway, you can keep that comment or not. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, but um, the regeneration thing, well, that's a, it's, yeah, that's the constant question, really. I've, I think I've, um, I've learned how to do it for a live performance, like when I'm mm. doing a r- long run of a show and accept painfully the nights that it just didn't work you know mm. or i feel like i did give a bad show it's the worst possible feeling you go home and you just want to kill yourself you know like it's like you feel so bad about it um, and i'm sure you're the only person thinking that as well like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah well I know, but like you know you go oh no it was such a bad show um but at least with you know with theater you can usually go back and try and redeem it the next day mm. and sometimes those bad moments are when because when you're doing a long run it's like a journey, you know, and you go through these transition points. And I've also learned that sometimes when when it feels like you've just hit the bottom or, you, or, or you've done a bad show, that you're maybe just kind of in that transition onto another level with it, you know. Mm-hmm. And then maybe in a few days' time, the show's going to be even better than it was before. Um, but I've learned how to kind of regenerate in the sense that I do nothing else. Um, my, all my focus is on the performances um i don't even like the last thing i did which was i girl in the abbey i don't meet anybody afterwards mm-hmm. i go straight home um and I, and i and i avoid doing anything else during the day before and then i go into the theater about four hours beforehand and i start a kind of preparation which mm-hmm. is usually quite intuitive but usually very physical okay deep physical like not exerting physical yeah. but deep physical yoga sort of stuff and I get into a kind of a zone that I know, okay, I'm there, you know. Um, so I've learned that over the years of nearly over four decades of live performance. But for film, I find it really hard. And I still feel very green in film, you know, to to get that craft, to craft that sort of constant regeneration. Because mm. it is a kind of a craft, but there's no, nobody can tell you how to do it. You yeah, know what yeah. I mean? <laughs> you have to find it yourself. And I mean, I'll film people that I've spoken to often say, yeah, you know, that it's, it's, you can never, you know, getting, getting into the moment all the time, but that's, that's the task. So I'm, I'm still trying to find how to do that. And sometimes I succeed and other times I don't. Um, I, I'm, I actually, tr- I try and talk to people about it as well. How, how do you do it? <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, and, uh, um, actually Tarkovsky gave a very good description of the difference for an actor between live performance theater Mm. and uh performing for film and you know the thing about film is really it you just have to be so in the moment in that reality that you are and not be thinking about the arc or the craft of it or anything you have to be so not with that 
and I have a very directorial brain when I'm performing. I can kind of see myself from out there. Mm. And of course, I'm not the camera, so I'm never going to see what it looks like. Yeah, yeah. So I still still finding that hard, um, which is partly why I want to do more film, whether whether behind the camera or in front of it, um, to, to to kind of understand a bit more about it. Um, but it, you know, the other the other element of regeneration really is is just the the you know you've got to keep the fire lit basically, mm. and we don't know how to do none of us ever really know how to do that it's something to do with how you live and think isn't it mm -hmm. you know yeah yeah and the things that excite you yeah yeah there's no um there's no manual yeah <laughs> yeah yeah but it's important the fire thing <laughs> absolutely um i'm gonna let you pronounce this next one by miguel um Poveda. oh yeah the carrera no carrer Yeah, oh, I chose that because, have you listened to it? Did you listen yes. to it? It's beautiful, it's beautiful. Isn't it? What yeah. an amazing singer. Yeah. Um, I worked with him when yeah. he was quite a young man. Um, and uh, and I just, he just has that same thing as like Janice, you know. Mm. He just has that, he's on the borderline, you know, all the time. Um, and in that, in that song, especially I love because, you know, no accompaniment. And I'm beginning to, appreciate and understand the power of song without accompaniment as well which is very much in the Irish tradition of mm -hmm. course and in lots of folk traditions um, but he uh, when we were working together it was a it was a production of Life is a Dream by Calderon and um, directed by this crazy but lovely um, Catalonian called Calixto Bieto actually I'm not sure if he was Catalonian but he lived in Catalonia at the time and um, Miguel I, so you had Miguel there and a flamenco drummer all the way through the show. And Miguel used to sing at the beginning. And that was my entrance where I had to roll. There was a, a stage on a slant. I had to roll down the stage like I'd fallen off a horse. But I kind of did it in slow motion, mm. you know. And then I'd land at the front of the stage and the show would begin. So I was obviously timing my roll, which I was doing in slow motion, to Miguel singing. But I, I asked Miguel one day, I said, how, roughly how long would the song go? And he said, what do you know? <laughs> you know like he had no idea how long he would be singing. And he all every time he sang, he, tears would be wow. coming down his cheeks. So that song, something to do with love, you know, mm. love to love or not to love or to want or not to love or not to want. And actually at the time, I think he was having love problems. But um, anyway, uh, it was a real special thing to have worked with him. Yeah. Mm. Isn't that, like you say, in that Janice, Joplin mold like uh, you know there are so few artists who would cry every time they perform yeah, yeah, it's yeah. a super rare thing I know and to cry not just as a result of where they are not mm. because they're trying to they usually avoid mm. trying to avoid it's very different to actors you mm. know like there's very there's they well, maybe less now but there used to be a whole thing where you know if an actor cries then they're a brilliant actor and it's actually really not true uh, it's 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 got to, I I I believe in the you know when an actor tries or cries because he's trying to make it a sad scene or whatever, mm. um, but that kind of um, the weep of ecstasy I suppose I would call it mm. you know when you hit that place which Miguel would hit when he when he sang he probably couldn't sing without hitting that place mm. you know and do you think that that's like a it's a uh, like outer body thing where where Miguel is almost you know he's seeing the 
the performance and the and the meaning and the and you know because you 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 must not he must not be you know in a performance space where he's like you know projecting it out mm-hmm. he must be experiencing it too in that instance yeah i mean it's all about the duende as well you know mm. like as Lorca, there's a great like a great essay by Lorca about the duende which is very very strong in flamenco but it's this energy that comes up from the earth and through through the singer and out there so it's a primal energy you mm. know so he's getting in touch with something i mean we're back to the whole horror thing as well you know he's getting in touch with something really really deep mm-hmm. and that's part of the flamenco tradition and um and that's the thing that nourishes the the song you know mm-hmm. amazing um okay number five uh jamu africa by uh ismail love <laughs> Um, you said in, I think it was like 2015, you said this sends shivers down your spine. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> did, yeah did I? Well, yeah, it does actually. It still does. Yeah. Um, what is it about it? Uh, I think it's, well, there's a few things. I just love that deep beat, you know, and and the, 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 the it's like that, first of all, the rhythm underneath kind of seems to represent the entire continent, you know. And I think it was used in a film, Hotel Rwanda or something okay. like that, where the where the Tsutsis and the Hutsis or, or whichever one are slaughtering each other, mm. or one of them is slaughtering the other, I should say. I should have my history right, but anyway. Um, uh, but uh, it's, it's, the, it's the call. It's a bit like Shakrulu. There's a call with the Africa. Africa. It's like he's calling for the whole continent mm. to heal, you know, um, and and at the same time calling it to like not to be to resist, you know. It's a kind of a mixture of the two things, um, and and I love that um, that that uh, that dialect that comes from. He's Senegalese, isn't he? Yeah, Senegalese. Yeah. That comes from Senegal. I love that Senegalese dialect uh, because obviously I speak French, and you can make out, you know, and he says things like. Uh, here or elsewhere, uh, we are the uh, we're the children of Africa, you know. Um, so it, it's really global kind of song, mm. and I think it's become almost like a national anthem in, in certain pe- people's minds. Mm. Uh, is that you mentioned as well that you'd listened to that uh, quite a lot when Nelson Mandela passed away? Too. Oh yeah, I is did. That, is that why? Is that because those parallels? If if, if like yeah, two icons almost. Yeah. Oh, totally. Yeah, and I, I I suppose I have quite a few connections with Africa, and I have spent some time there. Most memorably uh, in the Namib Desert, which is the most beautiful desert in the world, the oldest desert in the world as well, wow. um, which is a very powerfully spiritual place. Oh my God! Um, but um, I had family in Africa. Um, I had, and then my one of my brothers was um, posted there as a European ambassador, kind of uh, in in South Africa just after the end of apartheid. So he met. Mandela and all of them, you know, and so I went there at that time as well, and it was a really exciting time. Mm. Of course, it's all gone, you know, it's all gone problematic again, but it was such an exciting time, this possibility, like, sudden possibility, because I was there pre, uh, pre the end of apartheid and post the end of apartheid, and the energy was so different, you know. Mm. Um, but I love it as a kind of a, I don't know, it's such a, like a, it's again like Shakrul, it's very, very rousing and it's so beautiful. But I also get a really strong sense of the landscape and pl- place is really important 
part of our existence, I think, more so than we even realize. I think, I think there was an old Irish tradition where when a baby was born, they put the feet down on the ground because that's the land they were born on. But I, I do think that certain places have lots of energy going around them. Mm. And I feel that in Australia in certain places as well. And I, was, I grew up in the west of Ireland and I definitely there's a magnetic pull good or bad magnetic pull out there to that edge of the Atlantic mm -hmm. you know but Africa is such a powerful country just in terms of the place the land of it mm. the continent of it is amazing mm, amazing um, okay number six is Sinead O'Connor and Troy the phoenix from the loads to talk about on this one <laughs> yeah 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 um so you, you worked with Sinead in 1993 very yeah. briefly yeah, yeah 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 and what was that experience like oh it was amazing to meet her but she was in a really I was working with her sister was designing the show okay Hamlet's um, Nightmare yeah 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 Emer was uh designing the costumes and kind of working as an assistant on the show and um and the director at the time asked Sinead to come in and play the uh, ghost and he had this great idea where the director was Mick Sheridan. And he had this great idea where Hamlet and his ghost and, and uh, the ghost of Hamlet's father would play a game of chess like um, in the Bergman movie. Um, oh, which one? Seven Seals. The Seven Seals. So we had this scene where we're sitting opposite each other and around a table with the chess board and, and doing the things. But we only got to rehearse one day and she was in a really, really delicate place. Mm. Um, something had happened and um uh it was around the time that she took out that one page thing about you know the struggles that she had she took an ad out in in various newspapers mm. i don't know if you remember that I don't you're know. too young yeah um uh um but she's just like sublime artist i think mm. and that particular so this was after Troy that I did work with her. Yeah. Um I was but, just but, say, but because I, but yeah. I definitely want to talk about the track but I just thought it yeah. was really interesting that you know, this is, you know, she pretty much stratospheric at this point. I just thought it was really yeah. interesting as, as like a, it shows how much of a pure artist she is that mm. even am, amongst that sort of maelstrom of yeah. fame and, you know, all personal issues and, mm -hmm. you know, and then also just being this like, you know, uh, you know, international, internationally recognized artist mm. that she, she still wanted to flex other creative muscles in terms yeah. of like theater and, you know, so yeah, it yeah. just really showed her to me when I, when mm. I, when I saw that, that, that she was doing that around that time, mm. you know, it really shows that a pure artistry, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I think she was really interested in working in film as well. Uh, and I think there was a film that Jim Sheridan was, was making that she really wanted to be involved with as well. Um, and God, I mean, she looked incredible on camera. You know, I mean, it's such a, it's a loss maybe to the world that we didn't see her as a, as a, enough as a, as a film actor. Mm. But I mean, she's given so much already of herself, you know? Yeah. Um, she's, um, she's amazing. I think, you know, her, mm. her biography is brilliant. I'm, I'm, I'm about a quarter of the way through it at the moment. Oh, <laughs> it's just so compelling and yeah. it's brilliantly written. Yeah. This, and, and it makes, especially where I'm, I've gotten to in the, in the book at the moment, uh, it makes this track Troy even more yeah. sad and yeah. poignant and it's such a beautifully uh beautifully sad song really. yeah yeah and the bit about the light mm. you should have left the light on yeah I mean uh, I, you know I had my own interpretation of what that was but mm. you know when I read the biography mm. I went oh god yeah mm. 
Um, I mean, I, I don't think her sister, Ema, would mind me saying this if she listens to this, but and Ema is a real special person. She's fantastic, great artist herself. Um, but Ema said to me one point when Sinead was going through a lot of that, she just said, when our mother was buried, part of Sinead was buried with her. Mm. You know, just like it was just such a kind of complex bond. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know? exactly. And it's so clear. And, mm. and even in this this song, you know, there is, I, I thought it was amazing. It, I think it was John Mabry directed the, yeah. the video for this. A brilliant video. Such a good video. <gasps> and it really represented all, like, because it's got like the fire. Yeah. And then it's got like that, I, I thought it was amazing, that like reflective of like, you know, Sinead's like, of beautiful face coming through yeah. and then all of a sudden there's this like wildly sort of almost uh, uh, like horror <laughs> I don't keep talking about horror films but you know like that sort of like yeah. this like eye comes by at one point and it's like it is that sort of dichotomy of a relationship is mm. kind of coming across such an amazing uh, video oh it's a brilliant video mm. and I mean the video is like I can't get the video out of my mind when mm. I'm listening to the track actually yeah, yeah. I see it um, and and the like you know and the with, with her head shaved the way it was mm. and everything it just like she there was there was such a, an eternal image somehow of of that kind of mixture of agony again we're back to the agony and the ecstasy mm. but that mixture of grief and passion and love and mm. all mixed up together mm. um but in the words of it are fantastic mm. it was also kind of very exciting at the time um to really see a female such a young powerful female artist emerge with such incredible album um and that is by far my favorite song on it but it was just so exciting to see that kind of coming out of ireland you mm. know because i mean we produce ireland produces an awful lot of brilliant artists but there was something special about mm -hmm. her emergence yeah for sure i think i'd probably it's it's probably close enough to the list or on the 10 for me would be black boys on mopeds as well i adore that song that's yeah like, it's yeah, such a, yeah yeah that's a real sort of trans transport transportative is that a word i don't know if that's a word yeah but yeah, yeah yeah track you know where you're yeah. you know and it's this like yeah anyway but she that's her her that's her isn't it like digging the ribs music basically yeah <laughs> yeah and and i mean i i still feel she really let her voice go in that mm. in that album in a way that then she kind of like because she's always experimenting you know like trying different forms and everything like that or exploring different forms but the way she her the release in her voice on that album is just yeah shivers mm, amazing yeah. um okay so next one is klaus nami and the cold uh, performed the, the cold song um i, I suppose we were we spoke at the beginning of that sort of like idea of like you being attracted to the uh, attracted to the sort of extremes of mm -hmm. of uh, performance i suppose and like i mean when it comes to i know uh, klaus and now we performed a, a, a sort of range of different um artistic output across a range of different artistic outputs but opera in terms of opera that is the extreme side you know so is, is that what attracted to you that extremity i think it was more I, I, first of all i love that that piece i love henry purcell actually as a, as a composer i love a lot of his music um but that particular song and the performance of it, again, it's not, I'm unable to separate the singer from the song. You know what I mean? They're, they're all tied up, uh, or the performance from the actual song. Yeah. Um, but with Klaus Nomi, um, it, was, it was this, that the, 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 where it, it was the, the way his performances were pitched 
and when you look at them physically and everything, they, it was totally intergender. I mean, you knew he was a guy, but it was something very intergender about it. Very sort of in touch with the alien in some kind of way. Um, and, and very in between life and death. Like, mm. I, I think he could be a ghost coming back to sing about, you know, mm. about being dead. And the, the words of that song are fantastic as well. You know? But, um, and also, he always reminded me <laughs> of a dear friend who's long, long gone, uh, Tom McGinty the dice man and Tom had a similar kind of persona, you know, and I worked with Tom as well. Um, and, uh, Klaus Nomi was like a kind of a sort of European version of Tom <laughs> for me, you know? And, um, and he, yeah. So I, t I chose it for the music, the Purcell, the words and the performance and the persona mm. of Klaus Nomi. I've always been interested in that in between place. Um, Gender-wise as well, a lot of my solo performances I'm playing like uh, indeterminate gender, um, and uh, and this willingness to go to that place of the non-human almost. Mm. You know? Yeah, that that uncanny element comes through. It, it's almost like we were talking about Nosferatu, but like Cabinet Dr. Caligari, like that like expressionist yeah. early German, you know, where it's like I, I can't put my finger on why this is deeply either strange yeah. or attractive or yeah. it's all of those things in one almost yeah all of that and and actually you know the other people that i had thought of was for for that kind of moment if you like in mm. in my turn um i was thinking of jamanda gallas i don't know if you know her yeah. but like she yeah have a look at that like she has she plays and, and performs and she uses two mics sometimes and you just see her throat and she goes to these absolutely unbelievable places with her voice not about words at all it's some kind of mad satanic ritual you know like it's brilliant um and um nina hagen is another one who's very like klaus nomi actually in her in her sound okay amazing mm. um okay next track up is wing uh, by patty smith i was a vision in another um, I think the, the thing that strikes me about this song is that sort of like sense of being triumphant in the things that you can't change, I suppose. And mm -hmm. that's the that's almost the, the beautiful part of this. I know this this track has been sort of touted as like a, a real like anthem for that, I suppose. Uh, um, well, yeah, I mean, for me, I just so the reason I love that song is uh, more really the whole idea of flying. I love flying. I love being a plane. Um, and I do have that sense of freedom when I'm flying. And I, I just felt she complete for me. She, and, and I love that the ambiguity of this freedom mixed with, um, mixed with letting everything go, which maybe you, you do care about. And, and I love that thing. She says, if there's one thing could do for you, you'd be a wing in heaven blue. It's almost like, it there's a it's also a love song mm. in some kind of way towards somebody that she can't help <laughs> but would like to help in this sort of way and I, I and and she has this patio has this great mixture of caress and growl in her voice as well that i love um again those oppositions together um so that's kind of why it shows that it, uh, I, I was either choosing that or amelia hearts um Oh, it's not um, 
Joni Mitchell's song about Amelia Earhart. Well, it's not really about Amelia Earhart. We all think it is, but uh, called Amelia, which is about traveling through the burning desert and all that kind of stuff mm. and letting everything go and the cost of letting everything go mm-hmm. um, or doing the wrong thing, you know. Yeah. Okay, great. Um, well, I was really excited for this next one. This is The Wild Rover by Langham. This or Granite Gaze, I think, would be either of those yeah. those tracks. I think, for me, Lancome changed my perspective on music in general when I heard when I heard them first. I just think they're an outstanding band. Yeah, I was so slow to to know about them. I think mm. probably because I was away from Ireland a lot, and I don't know. I was just I didn't know about them for a good while. And I remember le- meeting Lisa O'Neill one night and uh, she was talking about Lancome I said I don't know she said where have you been <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, um, but I've, I have got to know their, their work really really well now recently because um, uh, um, Ian Lynch approached me about collaborating with him wow. and George Brennan on, on, a, on, an, on an album they're working on together Amazing. based on the kind of sovereign you know the Morrigan the Collier Crone kind of thing you know um, and uh, so, yeah, I just did one day for them in the studio. He says, there's enough for two albums. I said, let's go and do more. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, I think um, I just adore their sound. I really do. And, and I think they're, I think they're I, I, Ian is the only one I know. And I think he's an absolutely fascinating person. His knowledge of, you know, Irish folklore. Yeah his fire you know i said to him you carry the fire you know <laughs> whatever that means he really does you know yeah. um so so interesting like all he, all the connections he makes and i love this live show he does um for now of the fire drone yeah. here it's like a because it's like a cosmic journey yeah i have tickets for it in the national concert hall I ah. in the studio room i haven't been to it yet but it, yeah. it sounds amazing yeah oh it's great I, I saw the first one i think in um in in dunleary oh yeah last yeah. year Ah, oh, it was fantastic. Anyway, um, so I've, you know, I've completely been listening to everything mm. and the Wild Rover, especially the, tr- the the version that's on the video, I absolutely adore because mm. you hear the, you kind of hear the wind through the grass first mm. and and the whole, I mean, the visuals in the video and the way that the, the granite, the rocks start to shift is amazing, but the sound kind of slows, it's like a ritual actually. Mm. And I never thought I would ever want to hear that song again, sung by anybody. <laughs> and I'm completely obsessed with it. Mm. And the, the version in the video has this surge at some point where you're going, you're, you're lifting off, you know, yeah. really, really powerful. I mean, they, you know, if you were to ask me about Duende, they definitely have the Duende. <laughs> mm. I, I, I know I keep li- reeling off quotes that you said but there's one particular yeah. another I only have probably like three or four more that I'm reading off no <laughs> you're fine but uh, I just thought it was really interesting because you know you were speaking about before being drawn to the theatre of disturbance mm-hmm. you know and like that thing of like I'm just going to read it here but you know feeling altered and uneasy afterwards yeah. you know that's you get excited by that and like that is like this song is such a the definition of that where you, you know it's it's like so beautifully disturbing yeah Oh yeah, absolutely, and it's as it's as, but it's to do. It's as much to do with, it's totally to do with how they do it. You know, again, mm. not being able to separate the singers from the song. You know, Rady's amazing voice, mm. and and it's kind of, um, it does. It shifts you. It take t- it 
shifts you tectonically, like mm. a lot of their music. I mean, even even the kind of I love that. I love that um, the song that they wrote just before they formed Lancome. That one um, we always sing. It's such a beautiful yeah, yeah. song in itself. But even that one does does some of that to cold me. Cold old fire. You know, cold yeah. old fire. It yeah. does some. It does some of some of that to me. I think it's t- obviously it's to do with the kind of artists they are. You know, mm. they they really <laughs> bring it up from the earth. Yeah, there's, <laughs> it's funny because uh, you you when you were speaking about that sort of theater of disturbance, I. I was reading a, that interview with uh, Shane McGowan and The Guardian the other mm-hmm. week uh, came out. Um, actually, the photographer for that, coincidentally, directed Wild Rovers. Oh, from, yeah. Yeah, Elias Grace. Yeah. Oh, right. Um, but the photographer was taking photos in this, of Shane McGowan in this piece. Mm-hmm. But um, Shane McGowan was talking about, now he was uh, very much like dismissive of the interviewer in it, but there was a few absolutely amazing little pieces when he did want to speak to him, you know. Yeah, yeah. But he was talking about this idea of like a nameless fear. Yeah. That is like when I read that and I was like, I know he's speaking about anxiety, I think, when when he was re- referring to this idea of a nameless fear. But it's like that it instantly I was brought to all three of Lancome's albums of this nameless fear. It's like this yeah. lingering thing that yeah. is there the whole time. And you're like, I, I don't know what that is. Yeah. It's like really familiar, but it's also massively undefinable. Exactly. Exactly, yeah. and I mean with the with the wild rover, this the length of it as well. Mm. It's like slowly brings you in and connects you to it, and you're you know you're with it like that, and all the all the all the great work and all the all the stuff that I would choose probably had I was I'm not trying to be balanced. Yeah. <laughs> all the stuff I would choose would have that um, aspect to it, um, and and it is indefinable. I mean, f- for me, like I'm always trying to find ways of defining it, but. The, the disturbance, the tectonic shift, the duende, mm. um, the cosm, the cosmal, the cosmic something. You know, <laughs> yeah. well, there's no word for it. But mm-hmm. that's you know, music. I think more than any other art form is able to make it happen. Mm-hmm. You know, amazing. Um, okay, last song. Thank you so much again, Alan, for coming in. Really, really appreciate it. Um, so the final song is the song of separation and waiting. So, yeah, I, I suppose like a, a really beautiful and haunting mm. song to finish up with. And another one that you've referenced before that you've sort of obsessed over. Yeah, I played it again and again when I first heard it. Um, again, this my my kind of connection with it came about through somebody <laughs> or through somebody I'd worked mm-hmm. with. Um, Matthew Barley, who is an amazing cellist. And he got in touch with me out of the blue uh, via a filmmaker that we both know a bit sally potter in fact who kind of amazing well, i only met her once but she's a fascinating woman um and she suggested that he got in touch and he was looking for somebody to read some poems for an album for the for his recording of the protecting veil and um in fact the poet poem poetry recordings aren't great they're just not well recorded i think but this was so the protecting veil in itself. His playing of it is fantastic. It's not a, not a piece that I would normally listen to, but something about how he plays it is fantastic. And it's because he's tapped into that that Indian kind of that Indian slide, you know, which then you hear in that final mm-hmm. piece by Pandit Sultan Khan. And um, I was listening to it all the time during lockdown, 
um, because uh, uh, it was, you know, even the title, Song of Separation and Waiting. I love to lock down. So <laughs> I thought it should go on forever. Um, but it was it was one that I started to play because I, he, he sent me, you know, the CD and I was starting to listen to it. And I listened to it again and again and again. And then actually I chose it uh, as a track for, I was asked to, I was asked to do a piece about, you know, what it was like, my work during lockdown. Mm. And, and I just said you know i'm not doing anything i'm just thinking about the body in space and you know all that kind of stuff but i used that as the track that i spoke through and then just let the end of it play out mm-hmm. um and uh yeah i don't i don't really know what to say about that other because it's not really a song but i like the fact that it's called a song yeah <laughs> <laughs> but it just felt like a that's the last piece that i was listening to kind of obsessively yeah yeah that's yeah. interesting um uh, and i swear this is the last quote i'm going to read off mm. from you but um <laughs> that art is in the, it is an act of resistance against prescribed reality mm-hmm. i could like that just syncs up so much to what you're speaking about there of this like you know uh, especially in in what you know while, while being literally locked away yeah, yeah um you know using that art as like a total gear shift as to like what 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 your immediate surroundings are i suppose um t- ask me that question again sorry yeah so, <laughs> i don't even know if it's yeah, a question yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but i suppose it's just like I, I just the parallels between that idea of like you know re- removing what a prescribed reality is and ah, like yeah. that music sort of taking you or that that this this type of art really taking you out of the, that sense of a prescribed reality i suppose totally i oh, would well, that for me that's what yeah that's that's kind of why we do it, you know. Our 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 re- the reality we live is so, cons- you know, it's so it's so constrained, um, on every level, you know, to the point that I think as as humans, the species we are, we've reduced our capacities so much for, for, you know, even just it's in, it's in even the even our senses have become reduced so massively, the animal side of us, all of those things which. Um, and and the impact of that on our imagination, um, and and so I think for me, yeah, the, the, all the work is about somehow an envisioning mm. and a trying pushing the walls of this reality, you know, pushing them, pushing them wider, pushing them like trying to give birth to something different. Um, that's what it feels like, anyway. And uh, and and actually, when I'm making something, I always have to wait. That imp- it has to be an impulse, which is something to do with that. I think again, these things are indefinable, but there has to be some kind of info- impulse which lights that fire, which makes you just want to go. Yes, <laughs> I'm gonna gonna push the walls of this apart. <laughs> you know, I love you know? that. I yeah. think that's a. I think that's a very. Uh, yeah, I think that's a very appropriate way to end. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> um, just before we go, I suppose like, what is there anything like coming up now? I know you were. You know, I'd say it's it's been a it's been a bit of a marathon over the last few, couple yeah. of years with everything that's been going on. But is there anything coming up now that you're particularly excited about? Um, well, I did. Uh, I'm working next next week. I'm going to be filming uh, 
this piece for Jessie Presley Jones. Well, I always call her Jessie Presley Jones because yeah. Presley's her middle name, and I love that. Um, but uh, Jessie Jones, a visual artist. Amazing. I, saw, I actually saw uh, Tremble Tremble in the Guggenheim in Bilbao. Uh, it Go was, away. Yeah, it was amazing. Oh, brilliant. Yeah, it was amazing. Yeah, yeah. it's really great. A that was the hundred foot version of you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the giant. Yeah, it was amazing. Yeah, it was really great. stunning. Yeah. Um, and that's the first time, you know, like Jessie and I just collaborated on that. They asked me to come in and work work on it. And uh, now this is part two. She's now thinking of a trilogy. And this is part two, which is going to be in the Ruhr Red, and it's part of the Magdalene series. Okay. And um, she's calling it the Tower. Magda actually means tower, would you believe? Okay. And so um, talk about fire. Been, there's a lot of fire imagery all around it because, uh, you know, um, using using kind of various resources, not just the Mary Magdalene, which is... You know, she was the other, othered kind of mm. figure in the Bible. But, you know, there are lots of other stories around her, very interesting ones. But Jesse was very interested in moving into um, the whole idea of um, the mystic feminists like Margarita Porete or um, uh, Hildegard von Bingen. So she's using some Van Bingen's music okay. and um, the choir of young girls. And I'm going to be sort of like, I'm going to be like a stylite up on a tower, you know, uh, like Simon in the desert, you know. Okay, those. yeah, yeah. And so that's going to be filmed um, next week. And uh, and I think I'm going to be probably working with some of the texts from Margarita Peretti, who was burnt at the stake with her book. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, well, if, if like I suppose if Tramble Tramble is anything to go by, I'm like massively excited. Yeah, I think it's going to be, and it's going to be kind of similar. I think it's going to be two big screens, right? Yeah, and there's going to be curtains the veils as well. And the curtains. Yeah, 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 and obviously in different formations, mm, and mm. this chorus of young girls, and I think it's going to be extraordinary. Mm. Um, so that's what I'm doing next week, and then um, I'm doing a couple of other sm- uh, smaller things. Uh, I'm doing a, I'm doing a film for a friend going to Glasgow to do her first feature and this part that she had me in mind for and kind of doing that I mean it's a nice part but some of that work you do obviously because you want to support people mm-hmm. who you think are great yeah yeah <laughs> you know? um doing that um so it's busy enough but um and I'm gonna doing doing few ATV series which is um the producers are Spanish kind of attractive somehow <laughs> yeah. you know be filming in Madrid and Tenerife but only a few days Amazing. Um, um, and um, then I Girl which we did uh, last autumn might be travelling next year well yeah. okay so we'll see no no foot off the accelerator then. no but I'm hoping to maybe have like you know I'd love to just switch off completely for couple of months again give me uh, have an, I'd love to have another lockdown for myself <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay amazing Owen thank you so much again really appreciate it oh you're very welcome it's been a real pleasure talking to you amazing thank you <laughs>